guys are finding your seats and kids are making their way downstairs. Let's uh, open our Bibles. We're going to look at the Gospel of Mark this morning. It's been kind of our theme since last Sunday, right? Home Sunday we looked at Mark. Good Friday we looked at Mark. And today we're going to look at Mark once more. Um, we're going to look at chapter 16. We're going to read verses 1 through 8. Is that me? Am I causing that noise? Saying, see, 
We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him, and spit on him, and flog him, and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. But this wasn't the last of his warnings. For, for there was actually a fourth time that Jesus spoke of his resurrection. In fact, it was the very night of his betrayal that he had reminded these men one more time. Look at, look at Mark 14, verses 27 and 28. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Jesus knew that these men would flee. That, that, that they would not believe his words. Because if they did, they, they would have been waiting at that tomb that first Easter morning. They should have been at his tomb. Expecting God's miraculous work. And yet instead, each of them were in hiding. They were in hiding because they were afraid. Afraid because the man whom they had thought was their Messiah was now dead. And thus, it would not be these men who would become the first witnesses to our Lord's resurrection. Rather, that, that privilege would be granted to, to someone else. Let's, let's look at our passage again. Let's see exactly who it was that God had chosen to become the first witnesses. Look at, look at Matthew or Mark 16, verses 1 and 2. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. Here we see three characters, right? And they're, and they're all women. Mary from Magdala in Galilee, a woman that Jesus had rescued from demons. Mary, the mother of James, who happened to be the brother of Jesus. In other words, this Mary was Mary, the mother of Jesus. And finally, Salome, who we, who we know to be one of Jesus' sisters. These women, they, they were the ones whom God had chosen. They were the first ones to behold the, the good news that the tomb was empty. Now, traditionally, when a, when a person died, it, it was the responsibility of the family to prepare the body before placing him in that tomb. However, in Jesus' case, his death came just prior to the Sabbath, not allowing time for these women to, to acquire the necessary spices that they needed to do the job. And this is why we see them walking to the tomb this Sunday morning. For, for the Sabbath was finally over, and this was really their first opportunity to prepare the body. And this is what we see in verses 3 and 4. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? 
And looking up, they, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. You see, according to Jewish tradition, a, a grave was typically left open for three days. And the reason this was done was, was that it allowed for visitors to pay their respects to the dead. Uh, but, but there was also another reason. Uh, and that was it, it gave opportunity for, for that dead person, should he not really be dead, to wake up and not find themselves trapped inside this grave. Uh, I, I don't know if you ever heard of uh, little bells at a graveyard. That, that's what we used to do as well, because sometimes we bury people before they were dead. And so there would be a string they could pull and it would ring a little bell, allowing the, the tenant of that graveyard to know that oh, we made a mistake. Let's get out the chills. Um, and, and this seems funny to us, you know, with our advanced science, right? We, we know when a person's dead now. Um, but back then, there were, there were cases of, of falsely declaring a person dead, only to find out later that they really hadn't kicked the bucket. Now, if you think back to the story of Lazarus in, the, in, the, in John's Gospel, if you remember, Jesus was warned that Lazarus was ill, that he was, he was going to die. Um, and his disciples, aren't we going to go? And he's like, no, I'm not going. And they, Jesus waited four days before he said, let's go. Let's go visit Lazarus. Now, the reason he did this was because he wanted people to recognize that Lazarus was truly dead before he raised him back to life. He, he wanted to make sure that that tomb was sealed before he demonstrated the power of God, before he let the people know that he is the resurrection and the life. And so for Lazarus, the, the tomb, it, it wasn't sealed for the first three days, and not until the fourth day, right before Jesus had arrived, did they seal that tomb. However, in, in Jesus' case, this rule wasn't, wasn't followed. For Jesus was truly dead. The, the, the Roman centurions made certain of that. And the Jewish leaders, they were very, very careful to have the tomb both sealed and guarded so that none would come in the middle of the night in order to steal away the body. For, for they had also heard of Jesus' claim that he would rise from the dead on the third day. You see, these men, they were acting out in fear. They were afraid. Afraid that his disciples would come, take the body away, and claim that Jesus had indeed risen from the dead. And they did not want word of that to, go, to spread. And so the tomb was sealed. Now perhaps when these women in our story had, had left that Sunday morning, they had simply forgotten that, that Jesus' tomb would not be accessible. I mean, after all, they were just following their Jewish traditions where tombs were left open for three days. And so why should Jesus' death be any different? But it must have dawned on them as they were walking that the entrance to that cave would have been blocked off, making it impossible for them to get at the body without, without help. You see, the, the stone that would have been blocking this tomb would have been roughly about seven feet high. Taller than me. 
and it would have been thick enough to keep out any unwanted guests, whether robbers or, or wild animals. And, and to make sure that this massive rock wouldn't move, a, a groove would have been kind of carved out at the front of the entrance so this stone could have slotted right inside it. And once in place, to, to move that stone would have taken the strength of several men. So what were these women to do? Who would help them move that stone? Who would help them enter that tomb as, as they looked to serve their Lord one last time? Before they could come up with a solution, they arrived at the tomb. And as they came upon that entrance, what they saw didn't meet their expectations. For the stone had already been rolled away. How could this be? Why had the stone been moved? And who would have wanted to gain entrance into that grave? Look at verse 5. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. Instead of finding a dead body, they, they found a young man. A man who was alive and well, dressed in a brilliant white robe, sitting off to the right side of this grave. From the other Gospels, we know this to be the angel of the Lord, one of God's heavenly messengers. And so it was no wonder that these women were troubled, for their expectations and, and their reality did not mesh. Jesus' body was gone, and an angel was now present. And this angel had a message for them. Look at our next verse. Look at verse 6. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? Commanding these women to not be afraid, this messenger began to share the good news. Now think about the words that he had spoken to these women. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. In other words, this man was dead. There, there was no coming back from what he went through on that cross. I mean, the cross, it was, it was the cruelest form of execution known to man at that time. It, it was meant to be a painful, painful death with, with arms stretched out and, and nails piercing both wrists and feet. And, and feet. A, a man, he would slowly suffocate due to the pressing weight of his own body. You see, when, when, when a man hung upon a cross, what he would have to do, he would have to lift himself up, putting pressure on both his feet and his wrists just to grab a breath. And the strain on his, on his muscles would eventually cause him to, to, to cramp up, making breathing that much more difficult. Very soon, fluid would, would build up in this man's lungs as the stress increased, and, and it would cause stress upon his heart as well, and, and sometimes could even cause cardiac arrest. 
And these are only the physical aspects of what our Lord suffered upon that cross. But, but the point of the matter is, is that Jesus was dead. That there was no coming back from what he endured. And yet, what does the angel say next? He has risen. Now in the Greek, this declaration is just one word. A girthing. A girthing. Think about that. The entire gospel, the whole of God's salvific plan, hinges on a single word. A girthing. What better word can there be? Death has been defeated. The curse of the grave has been reversed. The tomb is empty. And Jesus is alive. Can I get an amen? amen. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? This is the good news. Christ is victorious. The stone has been rolled away. The tomb is empty. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? Jesus is alive. A girthe. He has risen. There is no better news than that. I don't know why you came to church today, but that's why I came. Because he has risen. Before we move on, let's, let's consider the implications of an empty tomb. What, what is the significance of this word, agirthe, of the words, he has risen? Well, first, Jesus' resurrection is crucial to your salvation. Look at, look at 1 Corinthians 15, verses 13 through 17. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. For we, we are even found to be misrepresenting God, because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Dear friends, without the empty tomb, there is no forgiveness of sins. The resurrection is essential to the Christian faith. Without it, we have nothing. Nothing at all. Second implication of Christ's resurrection is that it points to the fact that, that you too will one day rise from the dead. We see this also in 1 Corinthians. Look at, look, look at 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Just as Jesus came back to life, you too will one day come back to life after your death. 
This is your destiny as well. But what does it mean to have a resurrected body? What is Paul talking about in that letter? It, it, it is, it's more than what many people think of today. The, the, the common notion is that when a, when a Christian dies, that their soul goes to be with Christ in heaven. And while this is true, it's, it's not the full picture. Listen, God created man to be both body and soul. And there will come a day when Christ will return. And when he does, the dead shall be raised. And those souls of those who are with Jesus in heaven will return with their king. And they will receive new glorified bodies just as Christ did when he rose from the dead. They will once again be both body and soul. Again, look, look further in 1 Corinthians 15. Look at verses 50 through 53. I tell you this, brothers. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. Here's the difference. In this glorified body, you will still have the, the, the mind and the, the affections that you've always had. You will still be you, just a better version of you. A, a version that won't get sick. A, a version that won't get COVID, right? A version that won't experience pain. A version that, that, that won't get sad. A version that won't die. And a version that, that will not sin. The, the truth of the matter is this, that you will, will be more human than you have ever been. If you are in Christ, this is what the empty tomb means for you. However, if you are not in Christ, if you have yet to turn away from your sins and to trust in this Jesus... In this one who, who, who died for those sins and then rose from the dead. If you have yet to believe in this good news, then these promises are not for you. And you need to repent. You need to turn away from your sin and your unbelief and trust in this Jesus. You need to believe the good news that he has risen. Of course, such good news must be followed with a response. Look, look back at our passage again in Mark's Gospel. Look, at, look this time at verse 7. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Jesus had gone on ahead of them to Galilee just as he said. And now you must go. Go 
Tell his disciples that Christ has risen. Tell them that one word, Egerthe. You see, these women, they were the forerunners of all who claimed Christ as their king, who claimed Christ as their savior. For they were the first witnesses. They were the first to realize that Jesus is alive. And even though they had not seen him yet, that didn't matter. For they were to proclaim this good news through faith in the evidence that they had been given. Through faith in the empty tomb. Look at, look at John chapter 20, verse 29. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Dear friends, unless Jesus returns in your lifetime, you, you most likely will not see your resurrected Savior. You will not have that physical evidence that, that his disciples were witness to. Like these women, all you will have is that empty tomb. And yet, just as they were to proclaim this message, so too you are called to do the same. You are to go out, out those doors and into that world and shout at the top of your lungs, Egerthe, he has risen. And just as Jesus went ahead of these women, so too Jesus will go ahead of you. He will send his Holy Spirit to work in the hearts of those whom you will speak to. And so this is the calling of all true believers in Jesus Christ. Each and every one of us, we are to proclaim a girthe. He has risen. But would these women do as they were told? Let's look at our final verse. Look at, look at verse 8. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now, if you are at all familiar with Mark's gospel, then you should know that there were many, many instances where Jesus would either heal a person or, or free them from demonic possession, and then he would strictly command them, don't tell anyone. And yet each and every time, these people did not listen. Instead, they, they spread the word of what Jesus did. Well, in irony of ironies, we now have the command to go and tell, and yet these women were too afraid, and so they remained quiet. Silence was their response to the empty tomb. What will your response be? Listen. The tomb is empty. He has risen. What will your response be? Will you remain silent like the three women we just read about? Or will you proclaim this good news? Will you shout, Egerthe, 
He has risen. Listen, I, I get it. It's not easy to proclaim this message. The world can be a scary place. And the message of Jesus is a dangerous message. But we must not live in fear. For we have a God who is far greater than, than any of our enemies. We have a God who can overcome anything. So let us become bold witnesses. Let us fear nothing, for Jesus is victorious. And we as his people, we cannot fail, for he has gone before us. And he is the one who will turn those hardest of hearts into hearts of flesh. I mean, after all, that's exactly what he did for you, isn't it? When you heard that saving word, a birthday, he has risen. And all God's people said, Amen. Let us pray. Father, we are so, so grateful for your son. Jesus, he, he took upon himself the, the punishment that we deserve. He, he died in our place, and yet death could not hold him. He rose victorious. And we who believe in this good news, we share in that victory. And so we ask you now that you would give us the faith to believe this message. That you would produce within us new life. New life by the power of your Holy Spirit. And that you would give us the courage and the boldness to go from this place and declare this good news that he is risen. That word, Agurthe, to those whom we come across. We can only do this in your strength. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.